0: This episode is brought to you by GSK. For years, we have relied on antibiotics. But what happens if they stop working and a once-treatable infection could be fatal? At GSK, we're one of the few companies continuing to invest in a new generation of antibiotics through our own dedicated team and by working with other scientists. Because antibiotic resistance isn't a problem of the future. It's already here. Hello, I'm John Donvan, moderator of Intelligence Squared U.S. Join us online at IQ2US.org to vote on the motion and keep the debate going. Buying time. That is what President Obama's deal with Iran on nuclear weapons does in the first instance. In a sense, it's getting Iran to lay aside its activities related to its ambitions to build a nuclear weapon for a set number of years and then the deal ends. It's kind of like having a kid put his firecrackers up on the top shelf and you can take them down a few years later, maybe with the hope that at that point the kid isn't going to want to blow things up anymore. That may be what buying time can deliver. Nobody loves this deal But the White House argues that it is better than nothing and better than all of the alternatives. But is it? Well, that sounds like the makings of a debate, so let's have it. Yes or no to this statement Obama's Iran deal is good for America. A debate from Intelligence Squared US. I'm John Donvan. We have four superbly qualified debaters, all firecrackers, on our stage here at the Kaufman Center in New York to argue for and against this motion Obama's Iran deal is good for America. Let's welcome the team arguing for the motion. Please, ladies and gentlemen, welcome Philip Gordon. And, Philip, you are a senior fellow at the Council on Foreign Relations, but until very, very recently, you were at the White House uh, working on these issues. You were coordinator for the Middle East, North Africa, the Gulf region, pretty intimately involved with these negotiations. We want to know, you know, since you were so close to it, is there anything that you can tell us about being inside the process that would shed some new light on these negotiations?
1: New light. Uh, John, I can, uh, after many, many rounds, more than I can remember, of difficult, contentious negotiations, I can share with you the insight that people who haven't slept for five or six days at a stretch get very irritable.
0: Have you slept before coming here tonight? Just before coming here. You just caught up, All right, Ladies and gentlemen, Hopefully Philip. <laughs> I hope so too, Philip Gordon. And, Philip, can you tell us who your partner is?
1: Uh, yeah, my partner is one of America's finest and most experienced diplomats, Ambassador Tom Pickering.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, Tom Pickering. <laughs> Tom, you are also arguing for the motion that Obama's Iran deal is good for America. You're vice chairman of Hills and & Company, and you have had five decades as a U.S. diplomat. You are Under Secretary of state for political affairs and ambassador to the U.N. Uh, you're ambassador to Moscow, Israel. Nigeria for a number of years, though, in the absence of any formal U.S.-Iran relations, you were a participant in what is called Track Two
2: diplomacy. Can you explain briefly what that is? Short answer is one more than Track One. The long answer: It's non-officials engaged in diplomacy to see if they can find a way to crack the knot.
0: From inside, we'll be hearing some of that, ladies and gentlemen. Let's welcome, please, Tom Pickering and the side arguing for the motion. And that motion is Obama's Iran deal is good for America, and we have two debaters arguing against it. Please, let's welcome Mike Duran. Mike, welcome back. Your second time debating with us. Uh, you're a senior fellow at the Hudson Institute, a former Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense, a former Senior Director in the National Security Council. You helped devise and coordinate uh, a lot of U.S. strategies on Middle East issues, including efforts to contain Iran. You recently tweeted this: "In Obama land, the kiss of the nuclear deal will turn the Iranian frog into a beautiful prince." But don't you have to kiss a lot of frogs before you find a prince? They're kissing a lot of frogs, it's true And you're against that? I'm against that Okay, we're going to hear why (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, Mike Duran (laughs) And Mike, tell us who your partner is?
3: My partner is actually a foreigner. Uh, He's a Canadian. He's my favorite Canadian. But he's also the executive director of the Foundation for Defensive Democracies. He's uh, Mark Dubowitz, and he's one of the leading experts on everything financial to do with Iran, sanctions. Everything
0: I was going to say. So let me just cut through to say, ladies and gentlemen, Mark Dubowitz. Um, Your think tank has has been described as the political brain trust on Iran sanctions, so much so that a few years back a white paper that you co-wrote was adopted by the Obama administration, largely without them changing it very much. But they don't seem to be listening to you now. Are they off your mailing list?
4: That is true. That is true. We keep sending them ideas and, and the White House keeps saying, you know, Iran sanctions are just so yesterday.
0: Here tonight is your chance, because I'm sure they're listening, to change their minds Ladies and gentlemen, the team arguing against the motion Let's move on to round one Round one are opening statements by each debater in turn Our motion is Obama's Iran deal is good for America And here to go up first for the motion to his lectern, Phil Gordon He is a senior fellow at the Council on Foreign Relations Ladies and gentlemen, Philip Gordon
1: Let me get straight to the point. Uh, Tom and I are going to argue that the Iran deal of President Obama is good for America for three basic reasons. One, it's important for the United States to stop Iran from acquiring a nuclear weapon. Two, this deal effectively does that, and it does it while avoiding a costly and unpredictable conflict. And three, the alternatives to this deal, the alternatives to this deal, are far worse And I'm going to ask you to pay particular attention to this third point. Now, in this brief opening statement, uh, this is not the place for a very detailed analysis of every provision in the agreement. I suspect most of you have already read it and are familiar with it. What I would do uh, is underscore some of what this agreement does, and I would ask you to think about it in these terms. Imagine the world before us with the agreement, if we get it finalized and we implement it, And imagine the world without the agreement. And ask yourself which one you want to live in, which one is good for America. On enrichment, what does the agreement do? With the agreement, Iran would have to take its current stockpile of low-enriched uranium and get rid of 98% of it, keep only 300 kilograms. Without it, they could have whatever stockpile they like. With this agreement, they would have to get rid of two-thirds of their installed centrifuges. Without it, they can operate whatever centrifuges they like. With the agreement, Iran couldn't use its more advanced centrifuges to do enrichment for 10 years and would have long-term limits on research and development. Without the agreement, they can do whatever R&D they want and develop more uh, advanced centrifuges very quickly. With this agreement, Iran could not enrich uranium to 20 percent, The level, if you recall, when the Israeli Prime Minister was here in New York a couple of years ago, he identified as the most concerning thing. Because if you enrich uranium to 20%, it's a short step away from 90% and the ability to use it for a bomb. This agreement requires Iran to not enrich at all to 20%. Finally, and maybe most importantly, this blocks the covert path. With this agreement in place, Iran would be bound to accept unprecedented intrusive inspections forever, with a mechanism for resolving disputes. We would would have access to their entire fuel cycle, from the mines and mills of uranium, to production sites for centrifuges, uh, all the way to the enrichment sites themselves, where there would be cameras and inspectors on a regular basis. Without this agreement, we don't have any of that, uh, and we have no idea what Iran is up to. The bottom line of all that, when you put it all together, is Iran's breakout timeline, the amount of time it would take them to get enough material for a bomb, goes from around two months, what it is today, to over a year, which our military specialists are confident give us enough time to react uh, if they seek to violate it. I could go on, but you get the bottom-line point. Uh, When you compare these two worlds that we could live in, with the agreement or without the agreement, clearly this agreement is good for the United States, Indeed, uh, I think it's not even a close call. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you, Philip Gordon. And our motion is Obama's Iran deal is good for America. And here to debate against this motion, Mike Duran. He is a senior fellow at the Hudson Institute and former National Security Council senior director for the Near East and North Africa. Ladies and gentlemen, Mike Duran.
3: Thank you. Thank you, John. And- Thanks to all of you. It's fantastic to be here. Um, let me just get right to the point. To me, this is like uh, uh, you say you're a legitimate businessman, and uh, a mafioso comes, and you're in a little bit of uh, you're in a little bit of trouble financially. Um, and he offers you a loan, and you tell yourself that this is a temporary thing, and that uh, as the mafioso becomes your partner uh, over time, he's going to moderate, he's going to understand what it's like to get uh, honest profits, um, and he's going to change, and he's going to start abiding by the law. Um, this agreement agreement would be fantastic if we were making this agreement with Denmark, but we're not. We're making it with Iran. Uh, the Iran that we have today is the Iran that we had 10 years ago. It's the Iran that we had 20 years ago. It's the Iran that we had 35 years ago. Um, and that's, that is actually the single most important question that I want to put to you tonight, is why do we think that this regime is going to abide by this agreement? That's the that is the single most important uh, uh, the single most important question, and the administration never ever um, uh, never ever talks about it. Now there are two stories out there that are being told. The story the Obama administration uh, is telling us goes something like this. Uh, Back in April of 2013, there was an election in Iran which brought uh, to power this guy Rouhani, who's a reformer. Uh, And so he started this negotiation with the Americans, and they made some very important concessions uh, to the Americans, concessions that they had never made, along the lines of the ones that Phil was talking about. Basically, the, the essence was a willingness to constrain their Their nuclear, uh, their nuclear program. That's not the the story that our allies are telling. They're saying that this process is not the result of a strategic change in Iran. It's the result of a strategic change in Washington. Now, just for uh, signing up to the interim agreement, we started paying Iran seven hundred million dollars a month. We're paying them to negotiate with us. We're gonna when they sign the deal, we're gonna give them fifty billion dollars. Uh, right up front, and uh, and shortly thereafter, an, an additional uh, uh, 70 to 90 billion dollars. Now, when you ask John Kerry, what's the evidence that there's been a strategic change on the part of the Iranian regime, he says, well, look, they signed the, the interim agreement, and they have negotiated uh, for over a year now with us, and they have abided by the terms of the interim agreement during this period of negotiation. We paid them to do that. What other evidence do we have? Other than the fact that they have allowed us to pay them to negotiate with us, that they have made a strategic shift. No evidence whatsoever. They still are the, They still spout the same anti-Semitic rhetoric. They still call for the destruction of Israel. They still destabilize their their neighbors. They still have four Americans who are hostage there. They didn't even have the. They didn't even have uh, the grace and the good manners to release the hostages during this uh, during this negotiation. We are turning, with this deal, we are turning Iran into the regional hegemon in the Middle East. A good deal, a good deal, and this is what we need to define, a good deal is one that stops Iran from getting a nuclear weapon, A, B, makes our allies in the region feel safer, and, three, makes the United States safer. This deal does not meet that basic
0: criteria. Thank you. Thank you. Michael Duran. And a reminder of what's going on, we are halfway through the opening round of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan. We have four debaters, two teams of two, arguing for and against this motion Obama's Iran deal is good for America. You have heard the first two opening statements. i so now on to the third. I'd like to welcome to the lectern Tom Pickering. He is vice chairman of Hills & Company. He has served as undersecretary of state for political affairs and as ambassador to the UN and several countries, including Russia, Israel, and Jordan. Ladies and gentlemen, Tom Pickering.
2: Uh, not too long ago, when he was still alive, Daniel Patrick Moynihan said famously that you're each entitled to your own opinion, but not your own set of facts. Uh, tonight, from uh, Mr. Doran, we 've heard an extremely uh, unusual and strange set of facts. So let me just cover a few of those. Uh, first and foremost uh, is the notion uh, that somehow 50 billion dollars will pass on the moment of signature. The truth is, of course, that until Iran complies with four major requirements of the deal, uh, that they put their centrifuges aside, uh, that they change their stockpile uh, from 10,000 kilograms to 300 kilograms, dismantle the central piece of the reactor that can make plutonium, uh, and that they agree that the past efforts that they made uh, in a nuclear direction, in a nuclear weapons direction, are fully explained to and satisfactorily explained to the International Atomic Energy Agency that get nothing out of this deal. No sanctions relief until those particular steps take place. No money passes hands uh, to Iran. Uh, it is important, too, to remember this is a nuclear agreement, not a ballistic missile agreement. Both sides have agreed on the importance of the nuclear agreement as a matter of priority. Uh, Obviously, a ballistic missile without a nuclear warhead is not the kind of threat that has been portrayed to you here. Um, And there are plenty of opportunities in the next set of agreements, if this one is successfully concluded, to move on to that particular effort. Now let me turn, if I can, to the key questions. Uh, You've already understood that both sides share. Uh, a deep sense of the necessity uh, to stop any Iranian nuclear weapon. That's stipulated and agreed. It's important, however, to understand uh, that the second question, is this a good deal for America, is one that we would certainly answer in the positive. And the third question is, uh, what are the alternatives to this deal? Well, the alternatives, quite starkly and quite frankly, are two. Uh, No deal at all, or an attempt to use sanctions to see if, in fact, uh, we can achieve a better deal. Uh, You heard from Mr. Duran that he would like to have zero enrichment. I would like to have zero enrichment, too. I'd like to be a billionaire. (laughs) I'd like to believe in the tooth fairy. Um, But for 14 years, uh, previous administrations attempted to negotiate for zero enrichment and got nowhere. Uh, And the value of zero enrichment, in my view, is not significant compared to the value of the arrangement that we now have on the table with all of its inspection mechanisms and with all of its limitations on Iran, and that's extremely important to keep in mind. Finally, I think it's significant that you understand uh, that the alternatives to an agreement may well involve the necessity to use force. Uh, If we were to use force... It would mean, I think, a three- to five-year cessation in the Iranian agreement before they could move back to where they are now, and a situation under which we would have to bomb pretty continuously to keep the Iranians under that kind of uh, stricture. Uh, To me, there is no alternative. Uh, This agreement is a good one. I hope that you will consider that carefully. Thank you very much. Thank you, Tom Pickering. The motion is
0: Obama's Iran deal is good for America and here to argue against the motion, Mark Dubowitz. He is executive director of the Foundation for Defense of Democracies where he also heads its center on sanctions and illicit finance. Ladies and gentlemen, Mark Dubowitz.
4: I'm going to discuss the emerging deal's seven deadly flaws. I support a good deal, but this is not a good deal. First of all, President Obama and his administration only about 18 months ago committed to, quote-unquote, dismantle substantial portions or a lot of Iran's nuclear program. This deal will leave Iran's nuclear infrastructure virtually intact, and Iran will be a turn of the screw away from developing a nuclear weapon. Number two, the administration gave up on long standing U.S. policy and multiple U.N. Security Council resolutions, and they gave Iran domestic enrichment, which is the key element it needs to develop a nuclear weapon. Now, that was fine, except this most valuable concession wasn't given up at the end of the negotiation in exchange for other valuable concessions. No, this was given up at the beginning of the negotiation before Iran had really done anything significant. And now we're in a situation where Iran is going to have significant enrichment capacity. Number three, we've heard about missiles quite extensively from the folks over here. Let me just talk about an ICBM. Intercontinental ballistic missile is not for putting monkeys into space. It is for delivering a warhead to New York City. And the Iranians said that this was non-negotiable. The administration said, fine, we'll take it off the table. Number four, the Fordo Enrichment Facility. This is an enrichment facility that is buried under a mountain on a Revolutionary Guard military base. The administration promised to dismantle it, then to shutter it, And now it's going to be left open for 15 years to develop medical isotopes. It'll be the most heavily fortified, heavily guarded medical isotope facility in the Milky Way. Number five, and this is the serious issue with this deal, it's the poison pill. Many of the restrictions on this deal are going to start sunsetting, in other words, disappearing after year 10. And by year 15, most of these restrictions are going to go away. Iran is going to have an industrial-sized military program with unlimited centrifuge capacity, Zero breakout, and the ability to actually develop a program that is widely dispersed and very, very difficult to verify. And this is going to be a massive program on a territory more than twice the size of Texas. That is what the IAEA will have to verify, particularly when this is an industrial sized program. The IAEA doesn't enforce, they verify, they monitor. The United States of America enforces. Now, the only way we're going to enforce this deal peacefully is through economic coercion, what is known as snapback sanctions. Here's a problem with snapback sanctions. They don't snap back very well. Iran will have a powerful economy in 10 to 15 years. They're going to get hundreds of billions of dollars of sanctions relief. They're going to be increasingly immunized against future economic pressure. We're going to end up in snapback disputes with the Russians and the Chinese at the Security Council. We will hit a wall of intransigence at the Security Council, and we will hit a wall of human greed in the marketplace. And the problem is, as we give up our peaceful enforcement mechanism, this is going to make war more likely, not less likely. Iran will be able to creep out, or they'll wait patiently until many of these restrictions disappear. Now, what about a better deal? Number one, no sunset provision based on an arbitrary time period. Iran should have to be certified by the IAEA as having a peaceful nuclear program without any clandestine nuclear facilities. Number two, no long-range ballistic missiles capable of carrying a warhead. Number three, shut down the Fordo facility. It has only one purpose, and that is for weaponization. Number four, Iran has been stonewalling the international community on its possible military dimensions of its program. Iran should come clean before a deal, not after a deal, and certainly before we give them hundreds of billions of dollars in sanctions relief. President Obama said no deal is better than a bad deal. That is not this emerging deal. That's why you should vote against the proposition that Obama's deal is good for America. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Mark Dibowitz. And that concludes round one of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, where our motion is, Obama's Iran deal is good for America. Now we move on to round two. Round two is where the debaters address one another directly and take questions from me and from you, our live audience here in New York. Our motion is this. Obama's Iran deal is good for America. We have heard Philip Gordon and Thomas Pickering arguing for the motion by saying that this deal is not perfect, but that it will contain Iran's nuclear ambitions, that it cuts off all paths to its ability to construct a bomb in a short period of time, and that... um, A deal that that gives the U.S. everything that it wants to aspire to that is like wanting to believe in the tooth fairy. The team arguing against the motion, um, Michael Duran and Mark Dibowitz, argue that there's just no reason to think that the leadership in Iran is going to abide by the terms of any deal. They have issues with the temporariness of this deal, the fact that 10 to 15 to 20 years from now, we would be back where we started. I want to go to the team that's arguing for the motion Obama's Iran deal is good for America. And in a very broad sense, gentlemen, your opponents, they seem to be making an argument that at... Best, you're naive. Not, I don't think they're saying you're willing to trust because it sounds like you're not willing to trust, but you trust in the mechanisms of the deal and that you're just putting way too much hope in bad guys who know how to cheat. Um, why don't you take that on Philip Gordon?
1: I'll say one word on, uh, on trust. Uh, and I think since Mike understood that point on trust, the Denmark analogy, we don't need this agreement because we trust uh, Iran. It's precisely because we don't trust them that we need a verifiable uh, agreement with binding restrictions.
0: Let's go to the other side. Uh, Mike
3: Durant. The agreement doesn't have binding restrictions. This is the, 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 the reason that we have gotten any compliance out of the Iranians this far is because we're paying them to do it. Tom mentioned that uh, that the agreement is going to require the Iranians to come clean on all of their past uh, on all of their past program, which is an incredibly important uh, uh, of the monitoring mechanism. Unless you understand what the program was, you can't you can't monitor it. The fact of the matter is, the Iranians have stiffed the IAEA for a decade about this. We have not stood firm on it. We have not in, we have not forced them to come clean on their past. Uh, Program And the agreement that that we got from them about that is that, yes, they will address that question in the future. I'm willing to bet anything. I'm going to make a prediction right here, Phil. And my prediction is that if this deal is signed, we're going to give them sanctions relief before they ever come clean on on their past program. Because they have never, ever come clean, and they're not going to let us into military sites.
0: Tom Pickering.
2: Look, uh, let me offer you the facts. Not your imagination, not your have they, predictions. Have they ever come clean to the IAEA? These are the facts. Have they ever come clean to the IAEA? Yes, of course they have. They've started. They, but, they've started. But They're, we will not uh, conclude the release of sanctions until they have come clean with the IAEA. That's what we have said we will agree to, nothing less. And so that's you're, – you're sitting here – making up fairy stories about what it is that's going to be agreed or not agreed. Uh, The notion that somehow we have been snookered or somehow that this process will not work totally defeats the fact that throughout the Cold War, we made a whole series of agreements with the Soviet Union. President Reagan said in his best Russian, Doverai no proverai. Trust but verify. That's the basis of this agreement. All right, let me let this me is nothing new Mark Dubowitz.
4: Yeah, Tom, it's interesting. I mean, you know, these are stories you tell children to keep the nightmares away, that don't worry, the Iranians will come clean. Don't worry, the Iranians have come clean. But, Tom, you know better than anybody that the Iranians have been stonewalling the IAEA for years. There are 12 outstanding questions about past and possibly continuing military dimensions of the Iranian program. The head of the IAEA has made it very clear that he is deeply frustrated that Iran refuses to answer those twelve questions. They've answered half of one, Tom. Half of one is not answering the questions. We also know that the administration will give sanctions relief based on Iranian nuclear compliance, and that includes centrifuges, it includes Fordo, it includes some of the nuclear elements of this. Iran is going to get sanctions relief before they ever have to come clean on all twelve it's just dimensions not accurate, Mark. weaponization. Not They've already
2: come on eight, according to the IAEA, but let's not argue about the details. Let's argue about the notion that they cannot get sanctions relief until they do.
4: It's Tom, they already key. have gotten sanctions relief. They've gotten $11.9 billion in oil escrow funds that have returned to them since November 2013. Their economy, Tom, their economy was on its 2013. Re- that's in 2013. return for the joint program of action. But they, came, but they got sanctions relief before they ever came clean on but weaponization, which completely contradicts your thesis. Let me bring in Phil Gordon. Go
0: well, they have gotten
1: exceedingly modest sanctions relief, access to a small fraction of their money that has been frozen in foreign accounts, which you know very well the Iranian economy is at least 500 billion dollars or a trillion dollars and getting access to 700 million of their own uh, does not make a significant difference the PMD point I think is the essential one we agree with you that they haven't yet come clean on PMD and that they need to now you can assert that that'll never happen but I think we need to debate you know the proposition on the table is does this framework good for America you can attack some alternative version of the framework, but the one on the table is the one in which
3: they have to come
1: clean on PMD before they get the... And, Phil, here's through. the problem.
0: Mark, let's, let, let's hear from your partner. Uh,
3: let me shift it a little bit and just say that, uh, you, you know, uh, Tom said what I want is, uh, so, is a fantasy. I want zero enrichment, zero reprocessing. That's not what I want. What I want is an American side that will, A, behave like a great power, and, B, not give the store away. Now, well, but, but let me just. Say,
0: why do you think that that hasn't happened? What if, what if this is actually the best deal that they can give, oh, no, given no, no, the no, realities? No, no, no,
3: no. no, no. We, it, uh, listen, uh, I have it from uh, from European partners to the negotiations that they have been shocked by the giveaway. Uh, the idea that we are responding, that we are responding to the demands of allies is simply not true. This has been a bilaterally negotiated deal. Motivated by what? By the desire for detente with Iran. The president has sold the world on the notion that he is, that what he's trying to do is get a nuclear arms control agreement. Uh, what his, what his st- strategic goal is to have detente with Iran and he's using
2: the arms control agreement as a for Every step of it. the way the Trump European thing. allies, the Russians, the Chinese, the Brits, the French and the Germans will be with us. Even not with true. an occasional protest from nos amis les Français. Not so, true. Mike, not
0: true. Wait, 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 wait. And gentlemen, and gentlemen, and gentlemen. And I just... Oh, I just... I just, I just Hold it. Let's negotiate this (laughs) Let me let Let me let Philip respond So no, I'm just puzzled So
1: Mike is sure that the British and the French and the Germans and the Russians and the Chinese Hate this agreement and think we've given away the store But the foreign ministers of all those countries Have endorsed it and explained it and defended it That's, That's a tricky one for me
4: well, oh, the, fact, that's the easy. fact is, I mean, that's easy, Phil, and you know this. The fact of the matter is, is those countries don't believe they can stop, stop the Obama runaway train to to essentially surrender. I mean, the French have... The sure, French, the Russians are the, totally compliant they with do everything the Obama runaway train. Those, they do the everything Europeans, we say. The Europeans have told me, <laughs> the Europeans have told me their biggest nightmare is U.S. negotiators at one minute of midnight in a room with the Iranian negotiators, and they believe at that point... Major concessions come. And listen, major concessions have come, Phil. The fact of the matter is Iran's economy was on its back in 2013 as a result of sanctions. As a result of sanctions relief that your administration, that you were in, negotiated, the economy is on its knees getting up to its feet. We've lost economic leverage. Iran went from a severe recession to a modest recovery. When you lose peaceful economic leverage... You lose the ability to actually negotiate strong nuclear concessions. And when you lose peaceful economic leverage in a post-deal environment, you have no way to enforce this deal. And then you have to use military force to enforce this deal, which is something nobody at this table wants. Phil Corden.
1: We agree on sanctions, Mark, or at least that part of it. That's why they agreed to this deal that required them to do so many things that they didn't want to do. You're right. The economy is on its back. It's because of the sanctions that we put together, together with our allies. And
3: that's how we got this deal. And then you diminished the pressure. we're
1: getting a Mark, your, your partner's
0: Here's, touching your elbow. Uh, the, uh,
3: uh, Mark was Mark was nice. Mark Mark Mark, uh, Mark toned down the story a little bit. The story that he heard was our nightmare. This is from our European allies. Our nightmare is that Zarif and Kerry are in a hotel room, and it's one minute to midnight, and there's a and there's a deadline. What this, the story that the Obama administration told when it signed the interim agreement is, it said yo. Oh, The uh, Supreme Leader is under such economic pressure. He's dying for an agreement. What he needs from us is a face-saving agreement. A face-saving agreement. So we're going to rip up these Security Council resolutions, zero enrichment, zero reprocessing. Uh, We are going to give him a face-saving nuclear enrichment program of 1,000 centrifuges. A little bit later, the Americans came and said, "Mm, it's not going to be 1,000. It's going to be 3,000. Now it's 6,104. And that's why I can sit here and I can tell you There has been a pattern of concession, unilateral concession from the United States, and then forcing our partners along. And in the end, the Iranians won't come clean, and we'll give them sanctions relief.
0: Hello, I'm John Donvan, moderator of Intelligence Squared U.S. Join us online at IQ2US.org to vote on the motion and keep the debate going. I want to remind you that we're in the question and answer section of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan, your moderator. We have four debaters, two teams of two, arguing it out over this motion, Obama's Iran deal is good for America. Tom Pickering.
4: Look,
2: your predictions are your predictions. They have nothing to do with the framework. So if you want to believe the tooth fairy, if you want to believe the worst of all possible predictions— There's your choice, but it's not up on the board. You're not voting for anything but the Obama proposal at the present time or some alternative imaginary set of ideas. Everybody knows they've negotiated for a house here in this room. How many in this room have negotiated for a house? Everybody knows your first bid is not the acceptable answer to what it is you get. It's plain <laughs> and simple. It's Two guys
4: over line. here didn't raise their hand. Ma- so Mark Dibowitz. Mark Dubowitz. Well, you know, Tom, here's the problem. We, we have outlined a better deal, and one of the key elements of a better deal is that the restrictions that the Obama administration is putting on this program are not going to expire after 15 years. I mean 15 years. So let me ask how many of you remember 9-11? 9-11 was 14 years ago. In geopolitics, as in life, 15 years is a blip in time. In 15 years, most of these restrictions are going to vanish. Iran will have an industrial-sized program. It will have zero breakout. Zero breakout is undetectable breakout. Tom, we can negotiate a better deal by making one simple modification to the Obama deal, and that is that the restrictions will not sunset. They will not disappear until the International Atomic Energy Agency has reached a broader conclusion that Iran's nuclear program is only for peaceful purposes— and there are no clandestine activities.
0: If you could stand and tell us your first
5: name, please. Sure. Thanks. Thanks, John. My name is Kayvon Afshari. I'm the Director of Communications for the American-Iranian Council. It's an organization for which Ambassador Pickering serves as an honorary board member. So I want to leave aside you're, what You're Iran- not a
0: plant, as there. No, of- no, no. Okay. No. okay. okay. Right.
5: I have a lot of respect for him, but not at all. <laughs> well, I actually, I want to put aside what Iran is conceding in this deal and focus on the sanctions relief that it will hypothetically receive. And I kind of want to ask two sides of this question, one for each side. So um, for the side in favor of the deal, do you see any uh, veracity in the argument that, you know, an Iran which has sanctions relief will be more aggressive regionally, uh, you know, spend that money in Yemen and Syria? And for the other side, do you see the argument that an Iran that has sanctions removed might, you know, through economic interdependence, it'll have kind of a moderating effect on its regional behavior. So is a
0: sanction for Iran basically good for America or bad for America? Let's take it first to uh, Tom Pickering. You want to take it? Okay, Phil Gordon. Uh, Oh, you're recusing yourself. That's very respectable. (laughs) Look,
1: uh, Iran having access to its frozen funds is not something we would welcome. Uh, We've been very clear, the administration's been very clear, that uh, Iran is a destabilizing factor in the region. It's a state supporter of terrorism. We don't want to see the Iranian regime have more money at its disposal to pursue some of these activities. But as Tom reminded the group earlier on, this is a nuclear agreement. Now, it seems to me what our opponents are suggesting here, or those who don't want to move ahead with this deal, is that we focused it on the nuclear program to get international support for the sanctions. We brought down the Iranian economy. And then in the 11th hour, we say, oh, by the way, even though we've gotten what we want on the nuclear side, let's keep on the sanctions because we actually now want Iran to stop supporting terrorism, recognize Israel, stop messing around in Yemen. And let me just be clear, I'm for all of those things. But the idea that we can just shift gears and say, "Uh, we're not even doing the deal until then is a recipe not for getting both a nuclear
3: deal and constraining Iran in the region. It's a recipe for getting
0: neither. Mike Duran. This,
3: uh, this deal is an, uh, a deal about nuclear weapons, but it has profound implications for uh, Iran's place in the world. It has pro- profound implications for Iran's ability to make mischief around the, the region. Uh, all of the region, everyone in the region, all of our allies are up in arms, hair on fire uh, ab- about this issue. And, and the answer is, look, it's just, a, it's, it's just a nuclear agreement. The only way this agreement makes sense, is what uh, Kayvon uh, asked here, is if the Obama administration believes that if it kisses the frog, it will turn into a, to a prince. That through, this economic, uh, through the economic transformation of Iran, through greater relief of sanctions and greater business opportunities, Iran is going to miraculously transform into something other than what we know it to be.
0: It, is it at the core the side arguing for the motion, isn't it in any way at the core of the thinking on the agreement that, that uh, if, if Iran in 10 to 20 years may be nicer than it is today?
2: I think it's clear that they will be deeply invested in being part of the international community from which they have been excluded. So there is no question that at least one possibility is that they will behave and not move toward a nuclear weapon. The other possibility is we will certainly, as I pointed out a minute ago, know if they do. And we will have exactly the same retributive ca- ca- capabilities then as we have
4: now. Tom is actually putting his finger on their case. Their case is of an economic seduction case, not economic coercion. We're going to seduce the hard men of, re- of this regime. And in 15 years, they are going to be integrated into the global economy. And by being integrated, they're going to be moderate and pragmatic. Because that's the only way this deal makes sense. Because all those restrictions are going to go away in 15 years. And if economic seduction doesn't work, Phil, if economic seduction doesn't work, Tom, it's the same regime in power. And this is not King Wilhelm Alexander of Holland. All right? This is Ali Khamenei of Iran. If you could stand up, thanks. Um, the question is why isn't the solution more and more choking sanctions? And why does this deal have to happen right now? Why can't we just choke them further with sanctions until we're in a better bargaining position to do a better deal?
1: Uh, uh, Philip Gordon. Well, one reason is that's partly what's got, what got us here. You know, uh, the world, as Iran started to do enrichment and move towards a potential weapons capability, uh, go back to 2003, decided that the outcome had to be uh, zero enrichment. And we insisted on that, and we insisted on that as they increased from, at the time, uh, 160 centrifuges, and we said, no, it has to be zero. And then they got up to 3,000, we said it has to be zero. And we've done that all the way to 19,000. So we could, as you suggest, and as I think Mike and Mark would suggest, keep choking, I'm just suggesting that had we done so, choking, choking sanctions, instead of 19,000 centrifuges, we'd get to 25, and then 30. And then we would have another debate three years from now, and they'd be at 30,000 centrifuges
4: uh, let, and let, all the rest. Let, so let, be
0: careful. So, so what is your response to that, that if you push too hard, there just isn't going to be anything?
4: Well, the reality is, is that I, I don't believe that we should have imposed choking sanctions through these negotiations. But it's not – again, it's the fallacy of the false alternative that Phil is very good at offering. The fact of the matter is we should have increased the sanctions. We continue to ratchet up the pressure. We didn't have to stick at zero enrichment, but we could have offered – exactly what President Obama offered in the beginning, which was 500 to 1,000 centrifuges. Why the willingness on the part of the United States to continue to diminish our nuclear demand step by step? The fact is that the Iranians fear US escalation dominance. They increase their program incrementally. They fear escalation dominance. They fear our crippling sanctions. They fear our military power. And so you're right. We could have actually increased our sanctions, but we could have done so in, a, in an incremental way. We could have ratcheted up the pressure. And most importantly, we could have stuck to our nuclear demands. Why the rush, you ask? The rush is because President Obama has 18 months left in his term, and President Obama wants a legacy capping nuclear deal. Why not let Hillary negotiate this? Why not let Marco Rubio negotiate this? Why the rush to negotiate Right. Stick to our, I'm trying to be bipartisan Stick.
0: <laughs> You're being so Canadian now So Canadian yeah. about it <laughs> Our motion is Obama's Iran deal is good for America And that concludes round two Now we move on to round three Round three will be closing statements by each debater in turn The motion is Obama's Iran deal is good for America Here to summarize his position supporting this motion Tom Pickering, a former undersecretary of state And U.S. Foreign Service career ambassador
2: I want to take you to two stories that I think are important and throw light on this question. Two years ago, a few of us met with then the leading Iranian negotiator. He said to us, frankly, that for eight years we have been in the doghouse. Ahmadinejad put us there and we're now coming out. We will come forward with a set of ideas and principles for the negotiation that will deal effectively with the problem of your suspicion about our nuclear weapon. Uh, And we will accept inspections, a wide variety of them, and we want sanctions relief. And if we cannot achieve this with you in a reasonable period of time, we won't be back. And that's where we are now. A second story. Two weeks ago, I had the opportunity on successive days Uh, to hear again from the lead negotiators on both sides. Each one of them uh, said to us, uh, this is a good deal for the following reasons. And the Iranian reasons were, guess what, quite friendly to the Iranian point of view and ignored the question of the major uh, negotiating concessions they had to make. But when I sat down, just as the Belfast Center sat down, I could not find any reason to believe that what they had said was so inconsistent that in fact we didn't have a deal very close to in hand and that nothing contravened the framework. We now have a new opportunity in the region, but we have a new opportunity first with Iran uh, now to stop any effort toward a nuclear weapon. So I urge you to vote yes when the time comes. It is, in my view, the answer to this difficult problem.
0: Thank you, Tom Pickering. The motion is Obama's Iran deal is good for America. And here to summarize his position against this motion, Mike Duran, a former National Security Council senior director for Near East and North Africa.
3: Uh, The men sitting over here are intelligent uh, and they are experienced and they are engaging in the worst kind of of wishful thinking, as is the the White House. It calls to mind Ronald Reagan uh, in 1987 when he appeared before the American people and he said, three months ago, I told you that I didn't trade arms for hostages with Iran today my heart and my best intentions tilt, still tell me that that is true but the evidence has shown that it actually something else is true i did sir i did uh, trade arms for hostages what was the thinking behind it? The thinking behind it was we're not trading arms for hostages. What we're doing is we're finding the moderates in Tehran. We're making we're reaching out across the uh the political divide with them and we're going to we're going to create a new uh, a new relationship. Now, Ali North wakes up and bites off he- the heads of snakes for breakfast. Bud McFarland was a former Marine. Ronald Reagan was a very experienced politician, and he had this fantasy of finding the moderates in Iran and coming to an agreement with them, and he got led down the garden path and made a fool of himself. The exact same thing is happening now to the to the Obama administration. There's a fantasy in the American national security elite that across the Persian Gulf there is this ally in waiting, and if we just if we just embrace it properly, everything is going to get better.
0: Mike Duran, thank you very much. Your time is up. Our motion is Obama's Iran deal is good for America, and here to summarize his position, favoring the motion, supporting the motion, Phil Gordon. He's former White House coordinator for the Middle East, North Africa, and the Gulf region.
1: As you sit here and think about how you want to vote, whether you believe this deal is good for America or not, I would ask you to imagine, not that you're just sitting here and you get a free vote as a citizen, but you're the president of the United States, Uh, and it's June 30th. And your team has come back and said, Mr. President, Madam President, this has been really hard, but we got the framework that we we talked about. We've got it. Now you just have to decide if it's good for America or not. Uh, Now maybe, Mr. Madam President, Mike and Mark have persuaded you it's not good for America and you should reject it. And if you do, maybe we'll put on more sanctions and somehow the world will follow us even though we walked away from the agreement. And maybe Iran will then come back to the table and agree to zero or 500 centrifuges, and maybe they'll get rid of their heavy water reactor anyway, and maybe they'll accept anytime, anywhere inspections, including military bases, uh, and maybe they'll recognize Israel and stop terrorism. Maybe, maybe all that will happen, speaking of, of fantasies, and, uh, because you thought this deal wasn't good, and you rejected it, and you hoped all those things would happen. On the other hand, maybe we'll walk away We won't be able to keep the International Sanctions Coalition together. Iran will start resuming all of those things it stopped doing with the Joint Plan of Action. And at that point, you, and think about this very seriously, will be faced with a choice. Either you acquiesce and let them finish that heavy water reactor and build more centrifuges, or use military force to stop it. That's what I'd ask you to think about when you decide if this agreement is good for America or not. The deal you walked away from would look very good indeed. Thank you,
0: Phil Gordon. Our motion is Obama's Iran deal is good for America. And here to summarize his position against the motion, Mark Dibowitz, Executive Director of the Foundation for Defense of Democracies.
4: I, uh, about two years ago, I went to see someone in the White House. That's when the White House was still seeing me. And I, I met a senior uh, White House director there. And at the beginning of the meeting, he said to me, Mark, I just want to be very clear before we just start this discussion on an Iran deal that no deal is better than a bad deal. And I said to him, I understand that. In fact, I think President Obama just said that last week, and he said, absolutely. I want to reiterate, no deal is better than a bad deal. We spent about an hour and a half debating the emerging Iran deal, and at the end of it, he was showing me out of his office. We were walking down the, the hall, and he turned to me, and he said, Mark, I just want to be very clear, as I said at the beginning of our discussion, that a bad deal is better than no deal. Now, that's what's known in Washington as a, as a gaffe. A Washington gaffe is when the White House tells you the truth. And I think that's where we are at today. We are at it today, and you've heard the argument from Phil, you've heard the argument from Tom, that really a bad deal is better than no deal. Well, the fact of the matter is, is that's a fallacy of false alternatives. There is an alternative to a bad deal, and it's not no deal. It's a better deal. Our side outlines seven specific ways to make this deal better. They are not fictions. They are real alternatives. Without go-anywhere, go-anytime inspections into military bases, we'll have no way of knowing whether the regime is developing warheads. And without effective, peaceful snapbacks, economic leverage that helps us actually respond to Iranian cheating and challenging, we will only be able to respond using military force. If you believe that economic seduction will change the hard men of of this regime, then you should support their side. If you believe that this terror-sponsoring, Holocaust-denying... Thank we you. Mark Dibwitz, your time is up, but we us. see
0: where you're going. Thank you. Thank you. And that concludes round three of this Intelligence Squared US debate, where our motion is Obama's Iran deal is good for America. Okay. So it's all in. Remember, I asked you to vote twice, once before the debate and once again after the debate. On this motion, Obama's Iran deal is good for America, and the team whose numbers change the most between those two votes will be declared our winner. Let's look at the first vote. On this motion, Obama's Iran deal is good for America. 37% agreed at the outset. 19% were against at the outset. A large 44% were undecided. So those are the first votes. Remember, it's the team whose numbers move the most in between these two votes. So in the second vote, the team arguing for the motion, their second vote was 50%. That means they picked up 13 percentage points. That is the number to beat. Let's look at the team against the motion. In their first vote, they were 19%. Their second vote went up to 43%. That's a 24% increase. That team wins. The motion is defeated by the team arguing against. Our congratulations to them. Thank you for me, John Donvan, and Intelligence Squared U.S. We'll see you next time. This Intelligence Squared U.S. debate was held in front of a live audience at the Kaufman Center in New York City. Dana Wolf is our executive producer. Robert Rosenkrantz is chairman. Taylor Quimby, Maureen McMurray, and Rob Christensen are the radio producers. Damon Whittemore is the audio engineer. Claya Chang is director of production. Chris Kamakawa is director of research. And I'm your host, John Donvan. For more information or to purchase tickets to future events, visit iq2us.org. Intelligence Squared is distributed by NPR. These debates are made possible by generous contributions from listeners like you and with visionary support from the Connor Davis Family Foundation, David A. Coulter, Christopher W. Johnson Charitable Trust, George L. Orstrom Jr. Foundation, Dr. Kelly Posner Gerstenhaber, Profit Capital Asset Management, the Rosencrantz Foundation, the Arthur N. Roop Foundation, the Mortimer D. Sackler Foundation, and the Paul E. Singer Foundation. From Intelligence Squared U.S., thank you.